You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's words to his people. That means when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak to us. Today's Bible reading is from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 10. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, just as it has taught you. Remain in him. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us and that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, 
for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin, because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. We're in our uh, series in 1 John, and I don't know about you, but I've been loving this series. It just gives me so much assurance, so much confidence about what it means to follow Jesus. But as we begin, let me ask you a question, and this is the diagnostic question for this week, actually. When did you last want to give up on God? When did you last want to give up on God? It's a bit of a confronting question, isn't it? But I suspect that many of us, if not most of us here, have had that feeling before of just wanting to throw in the towel. You know, some years ago I was speaking uh, with a man in his mid-30s and he desperately wanted to be married, but he also knew that honouring God meant marrying another believer. So he held the line. He, he, He resolved to marry within the people of God, but as he watched his friends marry off one after the other, and some even walk away from the Lord to marry a non-Christian, he started to waver. And when I met with him, he looked at me and he said, Adam, sometimes I just wish I wasn't a Christian. Have you felt that before? Maybe you felt that living for Jesus is all too hard. Maybe you've started doubting the truth claims of the Bible. Maybe you've experienced hurt, suffered loss, witnessed death. And in your heart of hearts, you just cannot believe that God is good. Let me ask, when did you last want to give up on God? Gosh, maybe that's something you're even feeling right now. You know, the Apostle John wrote this letter to believers in a very, very similar situation. The Christians in the first century, they were holding the line, just like my friend. They were believing the truth about Jesus. They were belonging to the fellowship of believers. They were even behaving in light and righteousness. But as they sought to hold the line, they looked around and all they could see was one after another their Christian friends walking away from the Lord. They were denying Jesus' humanity, separating themselves from God's people. They were starting to live in darkness and sin. And you know what? It would have been so easy, wouldn't it? So easy for these Christians to look at their friends and just go, life would be so much easier. It would have been so easy to give up on God. Now, what do you expect John would write? Maybe you'd think he'd be like the stereotypical pastor, I'm sorry, and come down hard on people. But he doesn't do that. In fact, John loves these people so much, he he calls them his children. Isn't that beautiful? And with a heart full of love, he begs them, he's begging us, maybe even this day he's begging you. Don't be deceived. 
remain in Christ. Don't be deceived, remain in Christ. In 1997, some of you weren't born then, I'm sure, a young pastor named Josh Harris wrote a book titled, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It sold over 1.2 million copies worldwide, and within a few years, Josh Harris, he became the senior pastor of Covenant Life Church in Maryland, Virginia. He sat on the Council of the Gospel Coalition. He even wrote a book recommended by the Holy Trinity, John Piper, J.I. Packer, and Lecrae. Josh Harris, he was the poster boy of evangelical Christianity. But then suddenly, in January 2015, he resigned from Covenant Life Church to, quote, get a broader perspective. Three years later, he disavowed his first book and discontinued his publication. There were a few years of quiet, but then suddenly, in 2019, Harris announced that he and his wife were separating. And just a few days later, he made this post on Instagram. Quote, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. Note, by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. 22 years after that first book, Josh Harris gave up on God. How do you feel hearing that story? Does it shake your faith? Does it somehow weaken your confidence? Does it it even make you worry a bit about yourself? I mean, let's face it, guys, I'd be surprised if it didn't, even just a little. And if not you, you may have friends with very similar stories. They may have once followed the Lord, but in order to justify their lifestyle, in order to justify their life of living however they wanted to live, they left the church they once belonged to. And they changed the gospel they once believed. But I wonder, have any of them then tried to turn around and then convince you out of the gospel? Have they tried to persuade you to abandon the Lord? In chapter 2, verse 26, and chapter 3, verse 7, you'll see it on the screen, we read that the Gnostics, the false believers, they are actively seeking to deceive the true believers. They're trying to pull them away from the fellowship of God, to to lead them astray from the gospel. So John now paints a portrait of these false believers, and he warns the people of God, don't be deceived. In verse 18, he calls them antichrist. That's not an insult, okay, right? Now, when we hear the word antichrist, I wonder what you think. We might think of some terrifying figure in a degrade Hollywood movie from the 90s, right? But that's not what John has in mind. When he says antichrist, he's referring to the Gnostics who are literally, in one sense, antichrist, right? They are opposed to the Lord Jesus. In verse 19, we read that these antichrists actually once belonged to the fellowship of believers. There was a time where they would have called themselves Christians. But look, verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Friends, you hear what John is saying? The, the pure fact that they left our fellowship is proof positive that they never belonged to the fellowship of God. Because if they truly belonged to God, they would have never 
actually left his people. In one sense, they never really had eternal life. They were never true believers. You know, I often get asked, Adam, if my once Christian friend walked away from Jesus, were they ever really saved? It's a good question, isn't it? Because the Bible teaches us quite clearly that if we are truly saved, if we're kept in the heart and the hand of God, we can never lose our salvation. Just look at John 10, 27 and 28. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And here it is, no one will snatch them out of my hand. But wait a sec, if that's true, what about my friend who just walked away from Jesus, just like these antichrists? Well, the Bible says there are two possibilities, and John gives us the first. It is possible, it is possible that they were never truly saved. Verse 19, because they went out so that it it might be made clear that they do not belong to us. Option number one. But option number two, it is also possible that your friend is wandering far from God. But in God's providential timing, in his sovereign care, one day he will seek them out and bring them home. I can tell you that's a possibility I'm always hoping and praying for. They're the two possibilities that are there. But the truth is, we'll never know which one of them is true in any particular case. Don't try and sit down and figure out, was this person truly saved or are they just wandering from the Lord? We'll never really know. And in one sense, we don't even really have to, because whichever the case it is, our response is exactly the same. Whether they were never truly saved, or whether they're wandering far from God, we must give them the gospel. We must plead with them to come to the Lord. But you see, as for the Gnostics, as for these antichrists, the case is very clear. They were never truly saved. These guys here, they never really belonged. Because unlike the true believers, unlike you and me, Lord willing, they do not have, look at verse 20, an anointing from the Holy One. And by this anointing, all of you, all of us, we know the truth. John is one of those writers that he uses words like anointing that he defines nowhere else. But we can infer this much. Firstly, in the New Testament, all the words relating to this word anointing, they're mostly used in relation to the Holy Spirit. So in Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has, there it is, anointed me to preach good news to the poor. So we, we can see this word anointing is generally used in relation to the Holy Spirit. And then in John 15.26, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father. And that makes pretty good sense of what we find here in 1 John 2, Right? The Spirit is the anointing of God and that Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Because look at what it is that the believers have that the Antichrist lack. What what do these false believers not have that we do? Friends, we have the Spirit of truth. And because we have the Spirit of truth, we belong to the fellowship of believers. Do you remember two weeks ago, the core message, true fellowship is grounded in the truth about Jesus. That's why the Antichrist never truly belonged. It's because they never truly believed. See, verses 22 to 23, they tell us the heart of their heresy, and this is it. 
They deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. That's as core as it gets, right? And by denying that Jesus is the Christ, look, they deny God the Son. And by denying God the Son, they deny God the Father. John says, don't be deceived. Don't believe the lie. Don't be led astray. Don't ever forget that Jesus is the Christ. If you're not a Christian and you're with us today, if you want to know what Christianity is all about, let me tell you, it's all about Jesus. Now let's face it. Very few of us have friends by extreme, clearly non-Christian friends who will say, I'm denying that Jesus is the Christ. But we do it in countless subtle ways. Let, let me share with you just three. Firstly, people might believe in God, but not believe in Jesus. Do you realize it's much more polite and vague, isn't it, to say at work or among our friends, oh yes, I believe in God. But how much harder is it to specifically say, no, 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 I believe in Jesus. So many people claim to know God or even love God, but let's face it, friends, without the Son, without Jesus, we don't have the Father. Don't be deceived into confessing God, but denying Jesus. As I said, if you're exploring Christianity, we want you to know very clearly, it's all about Jesus. Jesus himself says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, friends, it's not enough for us to merely believe in God. We must believe in Jesus. I once met with a young man who was visiting our church, and I asked him, tell me who you think God is. And he said something to the effect of, the way that I see God, and you know that's a bad start to the sentence, the way that I see God is that he is a cold and distant person who doesn't care about what I feel. He's up there and away and far away from me. He has no love, no compassion, and no grace. And I thought to myself, doesn't sound like Jesus. So I asked him, friend, have, have you read one of the Gospels? And he said, no. And I suggested, why not read one of the Gospels? For in the Lord Jesus, you will find the perfect picture and reality of who God is. It is not enough for us to merely believe in God, we must believe in Jesus. Secondly, people might believe in Jesus, but they might not believe that he's the Christ. They might believe in him as a good man, a, a moral teacher, a spiritual leader, or even Jesus, you are my best friend, but Christ means Messiah, the Savior of the world. No, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is God the Son, clothed in flesh, who lived the perfect life, who died of the sinner's death, who rose from the grave, defeated the devil, and who will one day return to judge the living and the dead. Don't be deceived into believing in Jesus in some vague way, but as someone as, who is other than your Saviour. Thirdly, people might believe in Jesus as their saviour, but not as their king. Because the word Messiah also means king. You see, friends, if we confess that Jesus is the Christ, we are declaring that Jesus is our king. That he has a claim over our lives. We cannot live our lives in such a way that says, you know what, guys, I believe in God. 
I even accept that Jesus is my saviour, that's great, but you know what, when it comes to how I live, who I date or marry, I'm the ruler. I'll date whoever I want, I'll live however I want, I'll marry whoever I want, because Jesus is in the Christ, at the end of the day, I am. And we might not say it with our lips, most of us who grew up in church would never dare say it with our lips, but we scream it with our actions. Friends, do not be deceived into believing in Jesus, but as someone other than our King. For when our friends try to shake our faith, when they try to undermine our confidence, when they try to rattle our case, don't lose your nerve. When you read stories about Josh Harris and other famous Christians who fall away and reject the gospel, don't lose heart. You have the anointing of God. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the truth about Jesus. You know that Jesus is the Christ. You know that Jesus is your Savior. You know that He is your King. All that's left to do is to remind yourselves of all those realities that you know to be true. And do not be shaken. That's what John's urging us in verses 24 to 27. Look with me. If what you have heard from the beginning, that is the truth of the gospel, is to remain in you, then you'll remain in the Son and in the Father. And because the anointing you receive from God, that is the Holy Spirit, remains in you, you don't need anyone to teach you anything new. You already have the Holy Spirit. You have the truth. Don't believe the lie. So often we come to church seeking to discover new truths about God. We want fresh insights, new perspectives. And as good as they may be, friends, we must never graduate beyond the gospel. We must never grow tired or weary of that simple yet precious truth that Jesus is Lord. Don't be like the Gnostics who obsessed over special knowledge and rejected the core truths, the good news about Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, you have the truth. You know the truth. So when you are tempted to lose heart, don't give up on the truth. Don't give up on God. Don't be deceived. Don't believe the lie. Don't be led astray. Don't ever forget that Jesus is the Christ. Secondly, remain in Christ. Remain in Christ. What do we mean when we say that? Other Bible translations will say, abide in Christ. Continue in Christ. Persevere in Christ. Keep on keeping on. This isn't a one-off resolution. No, it's a daily devotion. It's a continuous commitment. Keep holding on to Jesus. Keep living for Christ. And verse 28 tells us that we persevere. How do we persevere? We persevere by keeping our eyes on the hope of heaven. It's beautiful. Just look at it. Remain in Him, verse 28 says, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Do you see, friends, if we keep on keeping on, if we keep on hiding in Christ. Colossians 3, we can one day stand before God, confident of our eternal life, unashamed because of our sin, because Jesus stands in our place. 
But too many of our lives as Christians are marked by a distinct lack of confidence. Too many of our lives are marked by a burden of shame. The truth is, we might have been coming to church our whole lives, but we're never really confident that we're actually and really forgiven, are we? And we constantly feel that shame of our sin that stops us from running to God for forgiveness. But if we keep on keeping on, if we persevere in the gospel, if we remain in Jesus, we can be confident that if I die tonight, you know what? I know where I'm going. But what does it look like to remain in Christ? If, we have to, if to remain in Christ meaning, means having the hope of heaven before us, what does it practically look like now? To remain in Christ means to live in righteousness. To keep on living for the Lord. Look at verse 29. He is righteousness. And because of that, everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. You see, living in righteousness, living a godly life, living in the light, living in obedience, that is proof positive that we belong to our righteous God. Do you remember last week? Our obedience to God is the clearest evidence of our fellowship with God. Our obedience to God is the clearest evidence of our fellowship with God. But, but it gets better, right? Because it's not just talking about our fellowship with God, as beautiful as that is. No, it's the clearest proof that you and I, we're born of God, that we're children of God. Just, just stop for a moment, right? When was the last time you just marveled at how amazing that is. That you and I, we are sons and daughters of God Most High. And that means that the one word, the fundamental word that describes our relationship with God is not fear, it's love. Chapter 3, verse 1, see See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. Or if you grew up in church and remembered another version, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. And you might think, just called? John says, and you are. Who are you? You are a child of God. Where are you? You are safe in God's love. Isn't that amazing? It means that you're not fundamentally defined by your family or friends, your studies or your career, your successes or your failures. No, brothers and sisters, you are defined by the God who gave up His life for you in love. There is nowhere safer than being in the love of God. There's nowhere more secure than being a child of God. And you know what? If I really get that right, if I really, really know that I'm a child of God and loved by Him, I can be confident, can't I? I can stand before God unashamed. Because if I'm a child of God, loved by my Father in heaven, why would I ever want to leave Him? Why would I ever want to disobey Him? Why would I ever want to be anywhere else? 
It's, it's remarkable. Remaining in Christ doesn't just mean remaining in righteousness. It, re- it means remaining in God's love. It means remaining as God's son. It means remaining as God's daughter. Infinitely loved by an infinitely powerful God. Gosh, just imagine if we really knew that. Just imagine if we really lived out of that identity. Because if we get it right, if we really get that place of love, that identity as a child of God, you know what? I'll do what is right. I'll live in God's righteousness. I'll live to please my Father in heaven. Even more than that, if I really know that I'm loved by my Father that much, I want to be like Oh, and I know in church life, you guys are getting to know each other. We've been here, what, our fourth year now? And you guys are having that moment where you go to weddings and you meet each other's families. And you ever had one of those moments where you meet your friend's dad and as soon as you see him, you think to yourself, it all makes sense. You know, just the other month, I officiated a wedding for a couple. And when I met the father of the groom, I was like, I didn't even need to be introduced. It was so obvious that he was the dad of the groom. They had the same face. The same posture, the same nose, the same facial features. I was looking at a spitting image of what the groom would one day be. Many of you will grow up to look like your fathers. I know, it's a terrifying thought, isn't it? But what we find in verse 2 is the best news of all. Because unlike our earthly fathers, praise be to God, our heavenly father is perfect in every way. And one day, verse 2 says, we will be like Him. We will be like Him. We will perfectly walk in His light. We'll perfectly live in His righteousness. We'll perfectly reflect His image. We've all felt that wrestle before, haven't we? That fight against our sin, that fight against our flesh. Haven't we all had those moments where we just, just get to the end of the day? And you just hate your sin, don't you? And you just sit there and go, why am I like this? When can I be free of this? Well, friends, the day is coming when all our struggles with sin will be at an end. The day is coming when the war against the devil will finally be over. Just imagine that. A life free from fear, from guilt and from shame. A life free from trials and temptations. Don't you long for that life? I want to let you know, one day, that future will be your reality. That will be you, for you will be like your Father. You will be like your God. So with that hope of heaven before you, verse 3 says, verse 3 calls us, purify yourself just as He is pure. Live in righteousness. Walk in the light. Don't give in to sin. Keep on living for Jesus because one day you will be as He is. Hold on to the hope of heaven. Hold on to the hope of heaven. But we see here, it's not the situation of the Antichrist, is it? Instead of remaining in Christ, they're reneging on Christ. Instead of walking with Jesus, they're just walking right away from Him. And if remaining in Christ means living in righteousness, well, these antichrists are choosing to live in their sin. Just look at verse 4. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
Now look at that word, right? When John uses that word lawlessness, he only uses it once here in all of his writings, and he means more than just merely breaking the law. He means the distinct sin of the Antichrist. He means denying that Jesus is Lord. He's saying that as they live in sin, they're living in abject rebellion against God. And when you see that, don't be deceived. Don't go there. Don't follow them. Remain in Christ. Because Jesus was revealed to take away our sins. And there's no sin in him. Can you see what John is asking? He's asking, right, why in the world would you ever want to go back to the very sin that Jesus came and lived and died to take away? In fact, if you do stay in your sin, it may just be a sign that just like these antichrists, you never truly belong to God. It's why John writes in verse 6, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. You see, if you never truly behave like God, notice I'm saying not once, but if you never truly behave like God, it may just be a sign that you never truly belong to God or that you never truly believed in God. Don't stay in your sin. Stay with Jesus. Don't leave him for the very sin that he came to take away. Keep on living for Jesus. Keep on living in obedience. Keep on living in righteousness because that will be the clearest sign that you are a child of God. Well, in the end, guys, right, there's really only two types of people according to John. Children of God and children of the devil. It's strong language, but follow me here, right? In verses 7 to 10, we find this contrast. The children, of de- the children of the devil, they live in sin. Because just like the devil, it's in their very nature to sin, like father, like son. But the children of God are a very different case. We don't live in sin because just like God, it should be in our very nature to not sin, like father, like son. We're not the children of the devil. We're children of God. Because his seed... His Holy Spirit remains in us. In fact, John is so keen to show us just how incompatible sin is with being a child of God that in verse 9, he makes this really awkward claim. Everyone who has been born of God is not able to sin. And you're like, whoa, not able to sin. I was just pretty able a few minutes ago, right? Maybe when I was filling out that survey, right? Like that, just, that, that was the moment. Does that mean I'm not saved? But he's not saying that Christians are somehow incapable of committing a single sin. Rather, he's saying that Christians cannot commit the very sin of the Antichrist, that lawlessness back in verse 4. The true believer who is a child of God and remains in Christ can never truly walk away from him. They may wonder, they may stray, God will bring them home. And it's why the Antichrist can behave in sin. It's because they never truly belong to God. So John poses a question to us right now. And it's a tough question, right? Whose child are you? Well, maybe let me ask, if someone were to look, if God were to look at your life, 
Who would he say? Whose child would he say you are? Are you a child of the devil or a child of God? Fellow Christian, for all of us who trust in Jesus, I want you to know very clearly there is only one answer to that, right? We are children of God. And verse 8 tells us that the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. And if the greatest work of the devil is to lead us into sin, then here's John's question, here's my question, here's our question, why would we ever want to go there? No, no, how do I remain in Christ? Walk in the light. Live in righteousness. Live as a child of God. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give in to a life of sin. I get it though, you know, when you see your Christian friends walk away from God, live for their own desires, you sit back and wonder, is it really all worth it? Should I just follow them? You know the worst, they seem happy, right? It seems like a better life on one level. But we saw back in chapter 1 that don't think that the joy is out there. No, the joy is in the fellowship of God, but it looks good. When we see them date or marry an unbeliever, when we see them move in with their girlfriend or boyfriend, when we see them eventually deny the gospel, it's so easy to go, gosh, I just wish I could live like them. And some of them might even come and try and justify it to you. Try to convince you. And John says, don't be deceived. Don't believe the lie. Don't be led astray. No, remain in Christ. Remain in righteousness. Remain in His love. You're a child of God. You don't need any other relationship, right? You're loved by God. You don't need to find that love in anyone or anything else. You've been saved out of your sin, so don't stay there or go back there. You've been freed from the world and the devil. Don't listen to them. Brothers and sisters, can I urge you this day? Hold the line. Don't give up. Keep on keeping on. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, some of us this day may be in a situation where we look at the world and it seems so much better. Some of us this day may be in a situation where we look at our friends living for the world and no longer living for you and it seems so much better. Some of us this day might be in a situation where, to be honest, we want to give up on you. And so we ask God that you would guard us from being deceived that we might not believe the lie, that we might not be led astray. Instead, we ask, God, that you might help us, empower us to cling to you, to hold on to you, to remain in you, to persevere in you, to hide in your love, to keep on keeping on. God, we are tired, we are weary, we are weak, and we are worn. And outside of your Spirit, we have no strength in ourselves to keep on going. We ask that we might hide in your Son, that we might 
take refuge in the Lord Jesus. For we know, we declare, we confess that Jesus is the Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And He is our King. And these things we ask in His mighty name. Amen.